Welcome to God's Truth. This is Dr. D. Todd Harrison. As we continue to flood the world with God's truth, this year we continue to look at that great book of Scripture, the New Testament, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've seen what Jesus said and taught and did in terms of miracles and teachings and the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We then saw the early Christian apostles in the book of Acts. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the writings of the Apostle Paul to different Christian communities. We will continue with that here today with 2 Corinthians, as Paul does his best to teach and to testify of Jesus Christ. And of that same Lord and God, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He conquered death, hell, and grave. He, ro he rose from the dead. He died for the sins of this world. Let's look here and see what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians. Uh, you'll keep in mind that uh, two major issues that Paul has against the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve and other uh, uh, leaders of the church in his day was, number one, that even though he was a witness of Jesus Christ and saw the resurrected Lord, and that resurrected Lord called him to preach the gospel throughout all the known world at the time, the Twelve are not calling him to fill any of the vacancies in the Quorum of the Twelve when they occur either by martyrdom or some other uh, issue arise as they would be killed off. They are not calling Paul to be one of the apostles. Uh, he starts to go out and start to call himself an apostle. Uh, but uh, this is the first major issue he's upset about. Two, he's upset about that as he goes out and spends his time and makes sacrifices to go out to different communities to preach Jesus Christ. He teaches them it's no longer needful to keep the law of Moses. But once he leaves, President James, uh, and, and along with the Peter and uh, John, the first presidency, send out uh, their own apostles and uh, and uh, 70 and so forth to tell the people that, that Paul is lying to them, basically, that, that they do need to keep the law of Moses. So these are the two issues as we, uh, as we need to keep in the forefront of our minds as we read the writings of Paul, so it makes much more sense to us what he's saying here and why he's saying things. Okay, so here we go. We're going to get the loaded statement here. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. <laughs> That's a loaded statement, isn't it? So, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's setting this up because he's going to... He's going to go on the attack once again against James, Peter, and John in chapter 3, right? So he's basically he's basically saying here, right? He's trying to say that I'm an apostle by the will of God. doesn't matter what James, Peter, and John have to say about it, right? And basically he's trying to put himself against the 12 apostles by saying, they're apostles by the will of James, right? And they're, they're, they're by the will of James. I'm by the will of Jesus Christ and in God. Now, again, we keep looking at the scripture in Doctrine and Covenants, section 18, verse 9, in which nearly 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ indeed did refer to Paul as, quote, mine apostle. So he really does have the backing of Jesus Christ. To this. So it doesn't matter what James, Peter, and John have to say about it. It doesn't matter what the Quorum of the Twelve or the Seven have to say about it. He is an apostle called directly by Jesus Christ. He reports directly to Jesus Christ. He doesn't care about reporting to James. He's, 
his responsibility is direct to, to Jesus Christ. He's been called outside of the Quorum of the Twelve to go forward to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, to teach and to preach in his name. Okay, so Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. How about that, James, right? It's in your face type of uh, uh, wording here. And Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all of Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the grace is the Greek and the uh, peace is the Hebrew, you know, greeting. So he's trying to include everybody here at that time. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So once again, Protestants and the Protestant uh, uh, those so-called Protestant Christians and evangelicals, you're, you know, you got to pay attention what the scripture says. He, God here, according to your, again, your guy, your man, Paul, blessed be God, even the father of Jesus Christ. He's the father of Jesus Christ. The father, son, and the Holy Ghost are not three and one, one and three, and yellow is blue, blue is uh, purple, and they're all pink. But they're three separate individuals composing the Godhead. God is the Father of Jesus Christ. They're not equal. They're not equal. God is the Father of Jesus Christ. Over and over again, we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John how God, how Jesus would pray to God. If they were equal in authority, Jesus would not need to pray to God. But the fact that he worships God and prays to God, according to the New Testament, they are not equal. Now, it does say that later in the, some places here that God gave Jesus all things that he inherited, right? He inherited all things of the Father, but he's not the Father. He worships and he prays to the Father. God the Father is the Father of Jesus Christ. That's according to your own guy, that goes completely 100% in contradiction to your false trinity uh, creeds, your Trinitarian creeds that you worship, rather than the biblical God and the biblical Jesus Christ. Again, you've been let down by your own man, Paul, who once again contradicts and destroys your false Trinitarian creeds, which Jesus Christ himself, with his own mouth, declared were abominations in his Sight. You worship that false gods, the false gods of the Trinity. You forsake them and turn to the biblical God and the biblical Jesus Christ. Okay, so God in verse four, who comforteth, uh, comfort, comforteth us in all our tribulation. Yep, you just reach out to Him in prayer; He will comfort you in all your tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. Of God. Very good. Okay, so that's through 4. Let's look at 11 through 13. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, as you pray for Timothy and, and me, Paul, and, and the others, uh, uh, that they're my uh, other companions here. Uh, uh, we saw at the, uh, uh, at, the, um, uh, at the end of Romans, he lists them. Did he list them here at the end of Second uh, Corinthians. I mean, he's, we've seen before that he's basically formed his own uh, quorum 
quorum of six, right? But he also calls Barnabas and Acts an apostle. So he's kind of forming his, his own quorum of the 12 where he's, he's got several individuals now that, that he's referring to and calling apostles. Um, I guess second to the end of Second Corinthians does not list all those involved uh, here. Uh, but Romans did, and uh, there's about six of them there. He's also called Barnabas an apostle. We know Barnabas was not a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, just like Paul, but that it, he was a member of the Quorum of the Seventy. But nevertheless, Paul refers to him as an apostle. Okay, so that does that there. So you also help them together by prayer for us, Paul and his companions, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, that the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust that ye shall acknowledge even to the end. So he's talking about that God, the gospel needs to be preached in simplicity and godly sincerity. You don't try to impress people with uh, with your wisdom or your advanced vocabulary and use words that people don't understand. You use people, words people don't understand. It, it can't get into their hearts and into their consciences and into their minds. 19 through 22. For the Son of God, once again, this, he's literally the Son of God. They're not one and the same. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was preached among you by even by me and Silvanus and Tim, Timotheus, that's his Greek name, but Timothy, was not yea and, and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Now he which stabbed us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who also, so again, you know, bearing his testimony, that God called him to be an apostle. It doesn't matter what James and the Quorum of the Twelve think about it. They have no say in the in the matter, ultimately. Jesus Christ is above them. Jesus Christ has called Paul to be one of his apostles. Establisheth you with Christ and hath anointed us in God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not that for that we have dominion, uh, dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Okay, great. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, and again we'll just pick out some nuggets of truth here. First, uh, verse, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. So he had written a previous letter to the Corinthians, which we've lost. So again, more further lost scripture. So we know the Bible is not complete, despite what you false apostate Christians say. The Bible is not complete that we've looked at for the last um, one year and three quarters of a second year. How many references to all kinds of scriptures, all kinds of books of scriptures have been lost and are not here according to what the Bible says. You always have to go with what the Bible said. Okay, so he had wrote this previous epistle, and he wrote it out of much affliction and anguish of heart. He wrote it with many tears. So he didn't, you know, he was sad that they got to, 
you know, um, offended by his letter. Not that you should be grieved, but you might know the love which I have more abundantly towards you. I was really trying to show you how much love I have towards you. 7 through 11. So that, contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him. And this is a sinner that uh, was a part of their community. And to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So, you know, if, if he feels that you haven't forgiven him, that, you know, if you're not nice to him, you know, he's going to sorrow even more. Very interesting, right? Because in the Romans we saw where he, you know, someone committed sin, he wanted to excommunicate him, get him out of the church. Here he's starting to develop, a, you know, at least in this case, it's odd, right? He's uh, trying to get him to forgive this, uh, this sinner. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. That's how you, that's how how you should treat sinners, right? You show them your love and just kind of try to love them back into the gospel, love them back into wanting to love God and to follow Him. For to this end also I did write that I might know the proof of you whether you be obedient in all things. I also wrote to you as if you're going to obey what I told you in the letter. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave it I in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for you are not ignorant of his devices. So his devices are to divide and conquer, right? To divide the community of God one against another, that they don't forgive one another, that they don't love one another. And that's how he tries to destroy them. That's one of his devices here. Is what Paul's pointing out. And in 17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. So once again, he's acknowledging that this apostasy is being for is, is taking place in the early Christian church. It had been foretold and and prophesied of by many prophets over many years that once Christ came and established uh, you know, his uh, true doctrine, his true teaching, and they would form some kind of religious community, that there would be an apostasy away from the truth, that the teachers would come in and teach them false doctrines and lead their hearts astray. So he's saying, we're not as many which corrupt the word of God. So you got now. You've now starting to get uh, a couple of different levels. First, first, and most direct reference, of course, once again, is to President James, Peter, John, the Quorum of the Twelve, because they keep coming in to tell them to keep the law of Moses. Even though Christ came, you have to keep all six hundred and thirteen uh, commandments. You can only walk so many steps on the Sabbath. You have to wash your hands in certain ways, and all these sort of things, right? So that's corrupting the word of God, right? Because the word of God said you should be free from keeping the law of Moses because Jesus Christ came. But then we're all starting to see here in these epistles in the New Testament, there's other false people, including those who say that God is a spirit, right? That, that Jesus was a spirit and did not come in the flesh. He, he came, made an appearance as a spirit, but did not come in the flesh. Again, seems to be kind of the Trinitarian doctrine, doesn't it? That that even though the Bible teaches that Jesus rose from the dead with a body of flesh and bones, those who believe in these false Trinitarian creeds are out there trying to say that God is somehow 
has no body, no parts, no passions. Again, 100% contrary and contradictory to the word of God, to what the Bible uh, says. So those going around teaching that Jesus Christ is just a spirit, they are, according to Paul, your own guy, your own man. They're corrupting the word of God. Okay, so that goes through chapter 2, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Okay, here we go, James. <laughs> so the, we looked at this. Um, we talked about this in a previous in a previous lesson. In the first commu first century community, uh, first uh, century Christian community, they don't have the internet. They don't have TV. They don't have radio. They have no none of these uh, modern day uh, technological devices. So. As an apostle died off or got killed off, and when they would call a new apostle, you don't know what they look like, right? You, you can't see them on TV in a general conference. You can't see them speak on TV. You, you, you can't see their picture in, uh, in the newspaper. You can't see their picture in news on the Internet. So the only way you know if somebody's a true apostle or, or true 70 well, not the only way, but the way that James decided that it should be the only way is by sending out letters of recommendation with these guys. So as they would show up to Corinth, for example, here and say, oh, I'm a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Here's my letter of recommendation from James stating, in fact, that this guy is one of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles or this guy is one of the 70, right? So he was sending that letter of recommendation. Paul, again, of course, we know, as we've looked at all along, does not have such a recommendation from James because he's not a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. He's not any senior leader in the administrative offices of the church, not a 70, nothing like that, right? So he doesn't have these letters of recommendation. So here he's going to go ahead on the attack again against James here. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Do we need to commend ourselves? Or need we as some others, the Quorum of the Twelve, the Quorum of the Seventy, epistles of commendation to you, right? Stating that this person is this apostle or Seventy or whatever their office may be. Or letters of commendation from you. Now watch this. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts known and read of all men. So he's saying, look, the fact that you, your Christian community exists in Corinth, that proves that we're true apostles, we're true apostles of God because of the fact that you guys exist and that we've been able to, through the, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, to build you up into a Christian congregation, into a Christian community. That's our proof. That's our letter of recommendation to you that we're the true apostles of Jesus Christ. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly de declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by, by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. We don't need ink like James. James is out there writing with ink. We don't need the ink. We have the spirit of God testifying to you. We're apostles and the fact that we built you up and brought you into the Christian faith. Not with the uh, that, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fl the fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to God's word. 
Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Not the letter, also referring to the law of Moses, but of the spirit, the spirit of Christ, of the spirit of the New Testament, of doing away with the law of Moses. For the letter killeth, the letter killeth. So James thinks he's sending out these letters to say this guy's an apostle, this one's a somebody. What matters really is the people serving in the church and whether God is working through them through the spirit of his son, Jesus Christ. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Okay. Let's continue now to 7 through 9. But if the ministration of death, ministration of death, we're again referring to the law of Moses, uh, brought death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. So remember, as Moses saw God, then his face was shining. They had to put a veil over his face because it was shining so, uh, so brightly when he brought down the Ten Commandments, how shall not the administration of the Spirit be even more glorious than that, more glorious than Moses having his face shining, more glorious than him receiving the Ten Commandments, God writing them with his personal finger. For if the ministration of, of condemnation be glory, if the law of Moses still was condemned everyone to sin, condemned everyone to death, was still a glorious thing, he says, um, how much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory? For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much the law of Moses being glorious, if that was glorious, much more that which remaineth now, the New Testament and New Covenant, is glorious. And 13 through 18. And not as Moses, which had to put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For unto this very day, you know, we're talking the 50s, so Christ had been dead for 20 years, their minds were still blinded and remained the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Because they're blinded, they read the Old Testament, but they're but they're blinded and they cannot see Jesus Christ, even though he's testified of everywhere in the Old Testament. But unto this day, when Moses has read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in the glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, you poor Protestants and evangelicals. Again, your guy, it's got to be embarrassing, right? If you've been watching all along, this is our sixth lesson now on Paul, of actually reading what Paul says. And again and again, he defeats you. Uh, defeats all your false theology and false doctrine, doesn't he? So again, what does he say here? We better read that again. 
But we all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord. So you look in the glass, you don't fully see the true glory. You just see the reflection, right? Are changed. We're being changed into the same image of what? Of God. The same image of God. We're becoming equal in a sense uh, in terms of the of glory. Because it said that not only did God share his glory with Christ, but that we're going to become glorified together with Christ. Remember, he said that in Romans, right? So here he's saying the same thing again. We're going to be changed into the same image of God from glory to glory. So you hear a little and there a little as you continue to grow and become like God. You still worship God as your father. You, st you still pray to him, but you become like God with the same image and the same glory and inheriting the same types of things that he inherits, the thrones, dominions, principalities, and so forth. So once again here, Paul teaches that doctrine. Once again, this is a biblical doctrine. It was not just created by the church of Jesus Christ, but this has always been taught for 2,000 years in the Bible. Okay, moving to chapter 4, 1 through 2. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we don't faint, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. So again, testifying to the people in the church that are teaching false doctrine, false things. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Three through alone. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You turn your, you don't turn to God, you're blinded. That's what it says, you know. God blinds you. So if our gospel seems to be something hidden, it's because you're, you know, it's because the person is lost, right? And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the, so Satan, the God of this world, Satan is the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. You know, you choose not to believe, he'll blind you. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthly vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh as we will one day rise with our mortal flesh as resurrected beings. We're prepared to die for Jesus any moment, knowing that he will raise us up, uh, raise our mortal flesh up into eternal, um, you know, into eternal glory. Okay. Let's look at 14 through 15. 
knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. So again, God and Jesus are two separate individuals. God himself raised Jesus from the dead. Christ will now raise us from the dead. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. And 17 through 18. For our light affliction, right, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay, so our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, I've looked before the doctrine of the preexistence, that we live for a long period of time as spiritual children of God in his presence before we came to the earth. And when we die, we will live forever as well. So we've lived, already lived forever, basically. We're here on the earth for 73 or so years on average, depending on the country you live in and a lot of different factors. And we will yet live for a very long time. So we suffer for just, you already lived this long, you will live this long, but you're just here for 73 years or more, and you just suffer a little bit here, but you're going to have this great, exceeding, and eternal weight of glory on the timeline of eternity. Okay, chapter 5, and we'll look at 1 through 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, the earthly in our bodies, were dissolved, we have a building of God, the Spirit, because he created the Spirit, he's our spiritual Father. And a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. We're waiting for our resurrected body. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. And five, now he that hath wrought uh, um, us for the self same thing as God, who also hath given us unto us the earnestness of the Spirit. Nine through ten, wherefore we labor, Paul again, speaking of himself, right? And those co-workers that he's got. We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things that, oh, Protestants and evangelicals, I hope you're listening again. You're Paul, your great apostle. You like to quote him more than you quote Jesus Christ. He's about to destroy your false doctrine, false church once again. For we... This is Paul, your guy, for we, all of us, what must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Oh, interesting, huh? He didn't say you're going to be judged by how you, by whether you believe and accept Jesus as your Savior or not, did he? He didn't say that, because that would be false doctrine. That's heretical. 
That's uh, that's heresy. He's saying that you're going to be judged on how you lived your life, whether you kept the commandments of God, whether you lived a good life or a bad life. That's how you're going to be judged before the judgment seat of Christ. Your guy, your old man just destroyed your church, just once again proved that your false abominable creeds and false abominable doctrines are not from the Lord. They're not from the Bible, but come from the devil, the father of all lies. For those of you still in such false religions, we invite you in the spirit and the love of Jesus Christ to come on out. Come unto the true church of Jesus Christ. Come unto the true biblical Jesus so that he can save you. Let's look at uh, 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade man, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you. <laughs> right back to attacking James, right? Right. We don't need to write letters of, letters of recommendation here. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, with glory in appearance and not in heart. <laughs> so he just burned them here, didn't he? So he said, um, you know, we don't, you know, we don't need to commend ourselves to you, but we are giving you occasion to glory, so that when James sends out his uh, his apostles and his seventy here, that you may have, you may be able to answer them, which glory in the appearance. So. The appearance, because they're still caught up in the appearance, right? This uh, appearance and glory of trying to show and impress each other how well they can keep all the commandments of God, how well they can keep the 613 commandments, 300 negative uh, uh, and 300 positive things that they need to be doing. James and the 12, 12 apostles trying to go out and show how great they're keeping this law of Moses, but uh, not in heart, right? They're not in heart because if they were trying to, uh, obey God by heart, they wouldn't be clinging on to these, uh, the law of Moses and the traditions of the elders. Okay, that's according to Paul, right? 14 through 21. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which he died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet not, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If you have the Spirit of Christ really with you, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. So the world had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and were destined to go to hell forever and ever. But God, working through Jesus Christ, as he says here, was able to reconcile the world back to him. And in verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, 
be ye reconciled to God. So as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, it's interesting, he shied away from the word apostle here in this time. We've seen him do this before, call himself apostle, and I kind of shy back uh, from using that term here. But So he goes with ambassador this time, right? Ambassador um, of Christ. Um, that we pray, and therefore we pray you in Christ's place, in his place, that you be reconciled to God. So as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, we're here to tell you and ask you on behalf of Jesus Christ to be reconciled unto God, reject your sins, ask God for forgiveness, so then come unto him. For he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He had no sin, right? He had no sin. Uh, but um, so, but he became sin, and God took all the punishment of sin and cast it upon Jesus Christ when he was on the, the cross there, and, and that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So now we can become righteous again to God through the great atonement of Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, verse 2. For he has said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Very important. A lot of people think that they can just live their life however they want. When they die, they'll just change somehow and God will forgive them and uh, they can still be saved. But no, now, now as we're living on the earth, this is our time. This is our day of salvation. We need to make our lives count, our lives dedicated to the Lord so that we can receive salvation and he can, and he can bless us. Today is the day of salvation. Some of you say, oh, I'll put off baptism for another time, another week, you know, a few years from now or next year or six months from now. You don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. So if you felt the Spirit of God tell you you need to become a member of his church so he can bless you, you need to act on that prompting today. Reach out to the missionaries of his church. Let them know that you're ready to Make a commitment to Jesus Christ and become a baptized member of his church, and they will help you do so. I will put in the description of this video a link to click on to be able to reach out to the missionaries of the church. Okay, so now, well, 4 through 11. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, again, shying back away from using that, Apostle term, so ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, all the things that Paul suffered to be an apostle, an ambassador, a minister of God, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. So that's what you get with the spirit, with the uh, 
the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may think you're poor on, on the earth, but you're really rich, and God's preparing a mansion for you in his heavens, possessing all things, becoming a God, being over the angels and possessing all things. Again, Paul teaching again. How many times has he taught that doctrine? And yet some of you come from uh, religious backgrounds where your false religious leaders are out uh, trying to uh, attack the true Christian church by saying, hey, they believe they can become gods. But it says it over and over again here. Paul's this at least three or four times now that Paul said that. That's Romans and First and Second Corinthians. We've only looked at three letters, and we only began Second Corinthians. He's already said it multiple times. Okay, let's continue on then. And uh, verse eleven: O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, and our heart is enlarged. And 14 through, let's see, 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? So important, so important in those here. Now, Paul earlier had addressed the issue that if the if the husband or the wife were to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and their husband or wife does not does not do you divorce? And his thing was his saying was no, you don't divorce because hopefully over a period of time um, maybe they can still end up you know basically joining the church. Here he's saying, look, if if you're if you're not yoked with a believer if you're if, if you're not yoked with an unbeliever as of yet stay away from the unbelievers right because what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness you know the whole thing the whole the whole lesson in the old testament was you stay away from keeping company with evil or wicked people over and over again god told the israelites when they went back into the land uh, of Canaan, of the uh, land of Israel, the land of uh, Palestine, the land, whatever you want to call it, the Holy Land, uh, that do not marry their children, do not uh, associate with them, or they'll lead you to worship their false gods. He told them over and over again. They failed to listen, and it brought down, and it brought those people down until they were captured and and uh, destruction and be destroyed by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians. So once again, here, the same lesson here is you just don't do it. Now, I know there's one guy that's a senior leader in the church who is, who's uh, preached messages in which he's tried to tell people the complete opposite. Now, he's saying it out of his good heart, but it would be nice if he actually was paying attention to the Old Testament or the New Testament to learn the true reality and the true doctrine of Christ on that matter. So, uh, you know, uh, he has a good heart. I know him personally, but I have heard him speak that doctrine, that false doctrine, on multiple occasions. That's not correct. And we're seeing what's what's going on, what's going on in our cities, right? When, when people that are uh, faithful members of the church, when they hang out with those who are not, it's destroying our cities and bringing all kinds of wickedness uh, into them. You don't do that. That's the whole entire message of the Old Testament. Here, Paul 
Do not yoke yourselves together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what what com, communion hath light with darkness? Right? And you say, well, Jesus Christ spent his time with the harlots and the and the prostitutes and so forth. Let me just say, he was Jesus Christ, right? He was capable of being in bad situations and being able to not let it affect him and not be led astray to do wicked things by spending this time with them. You know, so it's a complete different to think for us as mere mortals, as those uh, inhabiting weak human flesh, we need to stay in company with good people who are doing their best to keep God's commandments and are a community of the saints of God. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the scriptures teach. That is the word and the will and the mind of the Lord God. Okay, and he continues on here, and he says here in 15, And what concord hath Christ with Belial, with Satan, right? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So powerful verse of scripture here. You know, and again, the temple of God with idols. What, what, what does the temple of God do with idols, right? You're going to hang out with people who worship a false Trinitarian a false god? Are you, are you going to go with those who who think it's okay to, um, you know, to um, have pre premarital uh, sexual relations? Believe that they can, uh, you know, drink uh, and get uh, intoxicated and get drunk, uh, you know, or take illegal substances? You know, no, you don't do that. You don't hang out with people who don't have your same. Um, ethical standards and, uh, that are looking to worship the Lord God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. You keep yourself holy, God will dwell in you. He will walk in them, he says here. He'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Powerful verse of Scripture. Wherefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate. You don't hang out with those who are not members of of the church. You don't do it. It's totally contrary to the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and so forth and so forth. It's, it's not right. You don't do it. God has already warned you hundreds and hundreds of times, not through one apostle or prophet, but through many prophets of the Old Testament to not do that, to stay away. And here again, Paul in the New Testament teaching the exact same doctrine in which he already had. We already saw what happened. We already saw the Babylonians, come, the Syrians come in and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and lead them away captive. They became the lost 10 tribes in history. We already saw the Babylonians come in and destroy the, the southern kingdom of, of Judah. What, what else do we need? God told us to stay away from those who are not members of the church and don't share our same standards. He's told us to, to do that. And he showed us powerful examples of what happens when you don't listen to him. So why would we do that? Okay, so come ye out from among those who are not members of the church and be separate, saith the Lord. 
and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Again, powerful promise with that. Believe the scriptures and believe what the doctrine of the scriptures and the doctrine of God is. He said, saith the Lord, right? This is what God said. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So once again, powerful verse of scripture. And again, conditional, conditional again. We've seen that hundreds and hundreds of times. The love of God is conditional. Sonship and daughtership of God, conditional upon you keeping the commandments of God. So if you do that, conditional the language here, if you do that, then you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Okay, now I move on to chapter 7 and just look a couple things here. Verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Oh, you evangelicals and Protestants, once again, Paul, Paul, your guy, just defeated your doctrine, just defeated your church, proved it's not a biblical religion, it's not biblical Christianity, once again, did he? You teach falsely that all you have to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and you've been assured of salvation. Yet nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And Paul, your own guy, continues to completely destroy that false notion, that false doctrine, that false heresy, doesn't he? Here he said once again, earlier he said you're going to be judged by whether you were good or evil, right? In the judgment seat of Christ. Now he's saying it again, doesn't he? He says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. He doesn't say, let us just believe in Jesus. Let us just accept Jesus as our Savior. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say that. No, we need to live a righteous life. We need to keep the Ten Commandments. We don't have to keep the law, the law, the law of Moses, but we need to keep the Ten Commandments. So let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, making ourselves perfect in holiness before God by keeping the Ten Commandments. He just said it again. Your church is false. Your religion is false. It's not true. That's why we spend millions and millions of dollars and ask tens and tens and tens of thousands of missionaries each year being sent out, you know, to go forward to teach the gospel truth. Yeah, 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. To receive repentance, you need to be sorry for and feel sorrow for your actions, you know, that you did something wrong, and that's why you're asking for repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. There's a way to be to be uh, sorry, uh, uh, be sorrowful over your sins in a godly manner, and that's what you need to do to receive forgiveness of your sins, that you might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And again, Protestants and evangelicals, he just destroyed your church once again, didn't he? Because now, again, he didn't say you just have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, did he? He said you need to have sorrow. You need to have sorrow over your sins, and you need to repent. Ask God for forgiveness of your sins to 
receive salvation. Not just believe and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to actually go to God in prayer after having sorrow for your sins and then ask him to forgive you. So what a great lesson once again by the Apostle Paul. Uh, we've all learned a lot of great things here with the Apostle Paul again uh, today. And again, we invite you in the spirit and the love of God to go forward and reach out to the missionaries through the description and the, the link of this video. To reach out to the missionaries. Let them know that you're ready and willing to repent of your sins with godly sorrow, as Paul just said. And that you can be baptized by those who hold the actual priesthood and authority of God so that baptism will be recognized not only on the earth, but in the heavens and be your entry ticket to open the gate of heaven and begin on your journey going back to your Heavenly Father's presence. For those of you who've fallen into activity or drifted away into activity from the church, we welcome you with full open arms to come back into full fellowship with the community of the saints of God. Just reach out to one of your leaders or your neighbor or anybody you can and say, help me come back. And they'll do what they can to get you back into full fellowship with the saints of God. Closing, it's been my pleasure once again to be here to teach and to testify of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom I love with all my heart and soul. We ask God to pour out his blessings upon your heads, that those of you who are suffering physically and the diseases with, uh, with other physical impairments, that according to the will of God, ye shall be healed. We pray that God will bless those of you who are struggling financially, that uh, you may the windows of heaven will be opened up, that you may receive God's meat from heaven, the manna from heaven, to as financial resources coming to you, even in unexpected ways, to help you through your life's journey and fulfilling all the things God wants you to accomplish in your life. We pray that he'll bless you with safe shelter overhead, that you have a place to sleep where you would be peaceful, where you'll be in peace and be safe. We bless you with food to eat, healthy water to drink. That even you may think that is not healthy water, God will turn it into healthy water for you to drink. Ye shall not become sick. We bless you with these things and add our testimony to the word of God that these things indeed are true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.